welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call, and that'll put you right straight at the top of the list. That's right. Right now, it's a perfect time to call, though. It really is. You know, last week, I think Josh did a show with me, and first part of the show, we kind of slow, didn't have too many calls. Right. But right at the end, we had a pile of them, and we ended up, three people didn't get a chance to get the questions answered, so. Had to go to the website. That's right. So, right now, it's a perfect time to go ahead and call and get you right to the top of the list. Gives us, two a lot more time to spend with the caller exactly we're not having a rush to get to the next call spend a lot more time give them a more full answer or more in-depth more detailed answer right for sure you got paul online good morning paul good morning y'all good yes, morning sir. i've got a chevrolet truck okay. that's got a crack in the radiator in the plastic tank yes uh-huh. sir uh-huh very common fix for that besides replacing radiator? not really paul it is possible to actually replace one tank but in my opinion, it's just not cost effective. It costs you about three quarters of the price of a new radiator. And when one tank is cracked, the other one's not very far behind, and the core is not very far behind that. Uh-huh. It's just an aluminum and plastic assembly, and it's generally good for about 10 years. Uh-huh. You, yeah, just consider it consumable. In 10 years, you just got to take it out and throw it away. And I mean, the good part is they have come down in price. They're not all that expensive. Of course, it's kind of a pain to have to change it, but... It's just, just kind of part of the new cars. You don't have brass and copper like you used to have. Just because in the United States, you couldn't afford to have a man working around lead to solder them together anymore. Mm-hmm. So what they've done is gone to these plastic and aluminum ones with a big O-ring around the tank, and they just crimp it together. But I've seen people try the JB Well and epoxy and all that. absolutely never works. Just it's hot, hot water and pressure, and it's just and nothing it's, is going to work. That plastic moves at a certain rate mm-hmm. as it heats and cools. And anything that moves like that, you're not going to be able to seal it up real well. Yeah. Uh-huh. What if about it, these sanitizers or these metallic? Oh, no. No, no, no sir. Absolutely not. No, no, you end up plugging up your heater core and plugging up all every kind of stuff on your truck. No, just go ahead and get your radiator. That's by far the cheapest thing you can do because if you run around with it cracked, not only are you likely to overheat the truck, but you're sucking air in the system, which is going to corrode the devil out of everything. You're going to try to save $400, and you end up spending 2000 And what year was that truck, Paul? 97. 97? That was first. Yeah, you got your money's worth out of that. That was the first couple years of Dexcool, wasn't it? 97. Yeah, 96 was 97. Make sure you get you some Dexcool and some distilled water. I'm particular about it. I kept the Dexcool in it all the time. Mm -hmm. When you mix your Dexcool and your water, mix it outside the vehicle. Yeah, don't. Half and half. Don't ever pour it in there and then dump the water on top. Right. Distilled water. Yeah, yes, distilled water. It will mix in the engine, though. I understand. If you use tap water, it's got chemicals and things in it that will actually start the corrosion process right, inside the right. engine and the aluminum pieces. But uh, you figure 97, man, that's... Yeah, uh, you got your money's 13 worth. 13 years old, so you really got your money's worth out of that one. <laughs> okay, good. All righty. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, uh-huh. sir. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we got Jerry online. Good morning, Jerry. Yeah, Lewis, one time you told on tires... How you look on the back to tell what year they yes, made. Sir. Yes, sir. Would Jerry, you explain that again? I will. And, and even easier than me explaining it, if you go to my website and click on Michelin Tires, there's a big old picture that shows you exactly how to do it, which is easier than explaining it. But to explain it to you, there's a number or a series of numbers. It starts with the letters D-O-T for Department of Transportation. And what you're looking for is the last three or four numbers that will be separate from the rest of the group. And if it's got three numbers, the tire's way too old, it's time to come off. But what it is, the four numbers on the end are going to be the the week and the year the tire was made. For instance, let's say it said 2509. That would be the 25th week of 2009. Now, prior to the 2000s, back in the 90s, it had a three-digit number. The first two was the week and the last one was the year. So if it had like 25-3, it'd be the 25th week of 93, which means the tire is way old. Anything over six years is too old. 
Now, that number is going to be on one side of the tire Correct. or the other. Right. You'll have – sometimes you'll have part of the number without the date right. on one side. If you look on the opposite side of the tire, you may have to crawl underneath the vehicle to do this. Right. If tires are mounted and, inside out or something, the right. DOT may be on the inside. And it'll be on both sides of the tire, but they don't always put a date on both sides. Right. Okay, I should be able to handle that. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Like I said, go to my website and just click on Michelin Tires. It'll show you a big old picture and exactly how to decode that. Okay, well, thank you. Sir. All right, You're thank you. Bye-bye. All right, if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. That's one of those things a lot of folks used to not pay a lot of attention to, and there's been several fatalities on account of it, and that's right. old tires. That tires have a life not just wearing out. Right, they we, still look new. Yeah, we but, see that a lot like on motorhomes because yes. they don't drive them much. And the guy will come in, he's got a tire eight years old. Well, it blows out, tears the side of his motorhome up when he's on vacation, plus spoils his whole vacation. Right. Very, very dangerous situation, so you even, always want to check that. Even trailer tires. Yeah, trailer tires are also are notorious, especially for that, notorious for that. Because they don't use them much, so they don't wear out. But right. they get old and the rubber they breaks separate. down, separate. And they usually blow out at the most inopportune oh, time well, inside the really, highway and it's absolutely raining. Absolutely no good time for a tire on a trailer to blow out, I can exactly. tell you. <laughs> Because <laughs> generally going to be when you're hauling something down the hill state. Yeah. With way yeah. too much weight on it already. Got Judy's been patiently holding. Good morning, Judy. Hello. Yes, ma'am. I've got a 2000 Toyota Sienna. Okay. And the lights have been out on the dash and on the radio for about two years now. Okay. And all of a sudden, the light on the radio has started flashing at night time. Is there any hope for getting them fixed? I mean, anything can be fixed. Did they all go out at the same time? Or did some of them go out and some more go out? Yeah, they all kind of went out at the same time and makes it kind of awkward driving at night time. I would suspect, Judy, <laughs> if they all went out at one time, you probably got either a fuse blown or a bad connection somewhere. That's probably going to be yeah. a relatively simple fix. Well, the headlights and all like that work. Yeah, but, but that's not all the difference. See, every one of those is on a separate circuit. Right. Yeah, the window on the rider side went out. The electric door went out for a while but came back in by itself. Mm. It sounds like you got a bad connection somewhere, Jim. Yeah, I probably got a bad connection somewhere in it. As long as it's occurring when you bring it to the shop, that should be relatively easy to find. So you don't think it fuses or something like that? Well, not if it it's comes not going to be a fuse. Not if it comes back, no. No, now, if a fuse blows, it's blown. It's not ever going to come back. So if it goes the out and comes back, then that's going to be more of a connection type issue. Well, if somebody accidentally let the window down, mm -hmm. it takes a while to get it to come back up piece by piece. Yeah, and so you, you may have multiple right. issues. That's probably not one problem. That's probably several different things. The window motors known get old. For this? Pardon? Was Toyota known for this? No, no not more, really. No more so than any other vehicle. But I mean, again, what year did you say it was? It's a 2000. I've had it since, yeah. you know, this is well, I figure it's I'm 10 the one years, owner. 10 years old, right. so it's not unusual for any vehicle 10 years old to start having some kind of electrical problems. Especially window motors on the driver's right. side. That one gets used most out of any of the other windows right. on the vehicle. Well, this so is the window on the passenger side. Yeah. Well, it's it's still possible. It gets yeah. used a lot. Yeah, they just go out. They go it's out. like any electrical parts could go up now so many times, and it's going to start giving you trouble. Yeah, it's got 2,000, uh, uh, excuse me, 209,000 miles, so I yeah. figure out yeah, if you I got Got your money's worth out of it, that's for sure. <laughs> that is true. That is yeah. true. yeah, but it's, okay. it's probably not too big of an issue on those dash lights. Right. I'm suspecting either the switch itself could have a bad connection, could be a bad switch. I mean, there's a number of things it could be, but as long as it's doing it, it's just fairly easy to find and probably fairly easy to fix. It's not a hard thing. I wouldn't think so. As no long matter. as it's happening when you bring it to the place to have it fixed. Right. That The only problem, you bring it in and say sometimes the lights go out and they test it and it's working when they test it. Well, it's just not well, no, the Well, no, they're never on, really. Yeah. They okay, just, what? Should be pretty should easy. Should be pretty easy to find. Mm -hmm. Okay, very expensive. Well, depending on what it is, I doubt it. 
I doubt it. I doubt it'd be a tremendously expensive thing. Because I'm trying to figure out if it's worth it. I'm, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be run, trying to run around with no lights at night right. on the dash. That makes I it have, pretty bad. I have headlights. I yeah. just try to run with the pack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, Thank girl. You. Yes, Bye-bye. ma'am. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we got Joe in line. Good morning, Joe. How you doing? Good morning, morning. sir. Do you serve a transmission on motorhome? Depending on what size it is, Joe, as long as the lift that I've got will pick it up, I can. I want you to lift most of the single axle size motorhomes. When you start getting some of the big tandem axle ones, I just don't have anything big enough to pick it up. Well, single axle, but it's a 40-foot diesel. Oh, boy. That rack will handle I don't know, Joe. I'd have to see it. Maybe if you're ever out in out and about and run by mm-hmm. if I can lift it or if it sits high enough off the ground where a man can get under it on a creeper possibly yeah you can get under it because it has air level it picks the coach well up. yeah if we could do something like that I'd have to probably give Josh a raise to get him to do it but <laughs> <laughs> we, we have worked on some of those where we can lift them up and crawl under them and do it just you gotta have excess to get under it is a big big thing yeah. well you can get like I said you can get under okay. it so I could just make an appointment or something yeah just or? call and talk to Lane get an appointment made you might want Running by me, look at it too, just to make sure. I mean, if I can, I can tell you I can't, but okay. I'd say good chance we could, yes, sir. Okay, all righty, thank you, thank mm-hmm. you, sir. Bye bye. You are part of the automotive hour, and we've got Al online. Good morning, Al. Good morning, gentlemen. I've got a 95 Cadillac, and every night and I get a message on my dash that says a gear indicator fault. And I look okay. up there, and every gear position is lit. Yes, sir. If mm-hmm. I can pull off and stop somewhere, I shift it up in the yes, park, sir. and mm-hmm. it clears it all out. Yes, sir. Sometimes I'm driving that road. If I keep going, it'll, it'll straighten itself out. Yes, sir. Is this, is this an indication something bad is going to happen or it's worse than happening? Probably not. It's probably what they call the manual lever position sensor it's a sensor on the side of the transmission case that tells it what's gear it's in and most likely that sensor is going out i wouldn't neglect to fix that because if it goes out the car can maybe not move if it doesn't know what's gear so it can leave you stranded it can also technically i guess it could put it in maybe two gears at one time or put it in the wrong gear and cause you some other grief <laughs> not a tremendously expensive thing to fix I can't think of anything else that would do that. I mean, I guess it's possible if the connector itself was bad, maybe shorting out or something. It's always a possibility, but I'd say the likelihood of that sensor being bad is is probably the the highest probability. Well, is this something that that if it's not doing it to time, I drop it off, then you can't fix it? Pretty much, unless it's setting a code of some sort. Now, that sensor's not terribly expensive, and they do go out an awful lot. Uh-huh. So if I couldn't duplicate it, and you understand, I would yeah. probably just replace the sensor and see. I got you. Because it's not a hugely expensive thing, and they do go out anyway. So yeah. that would be the way you'd have to do it. But the customer has to understand, hey, I'm doing my best here, but I can't guarantee this is the only problem. Yeah, well, this is just an erratic thing sometimes. Yeah. yeah. You might bring it in just check it and see. You may have set a code in memory, too. Sometimes yeah. that does tie into the computer, so a lot of times right. it will register a code for that, uh-huh. which will tell you what happened. Yeah, but since it's on the transmission. It is on the transmission. You have to take the gear lever off, and it bolts to the outside of the case. Uh-huh. Okay, thank right. you so much. All right, sir. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back. Jim, hang on. You'll be straight up after this break. And that's why cayenne pepper should never be stored in the bathroom. Yeah! Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Call her what you want to know. Alphonse, 
My car needs a new transmission, but I think there might be some other problems looming in the near future. I might as well get a new car, right? Well, here's what I'll recommend. Take it to the pros at Agco Automotive for a general inspection. They know their stuff and they're mighty honest. They'll be able to see if there's any problems likely in the future and tell you your best option. And if you keep your car, bring it into Agco for regular maintenance and you'll be driving it for a long time. Thank you, Alphonse. You do know it all. Say, are you as good-looking as you are smart? Well, let's just say, I know you wouldn't be disappointed. Learn more about the benefits of AGCO at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Pennsylvania 6, 5,000. Hey, Welcome back. If you just joined us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. In between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call? Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we got Jim's been patiently holding. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. I have a 2004 Honda Accord. Okay. I am uh, picking up my fourth low beam halogen bulb okay. for this car in the last month or uh-huh. so. Yes, sir. Bought the car, used the brake, the brake light in the back window. Someone told me it was out and I looked and it has actually been unplugged and not there. Mm-hmm. The car has burned out the dome lights. I can burn that out in, in a day or okay. two. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, yes, I have a short. I'm wondering if there's It's not going to be a short, Jim. A short would cut power. It can't make bulbs burn out. Uh, Most okay. likely, what you're going to have is either high voltage in the system, like an alternator that's malfunctioning, mm-hmm. and the system voltage is going too high, and that will burn not only light bulbs, but burn everything in the car out in time. Now, light bulbs seem to be a little more sensitive just because they get so hot and they're using so much power that when you put a little more voltage to them, it really fries them. That is more likely. Now, another possibility is that you got something loose somewhere that is controlling all the lights that keep burning out and it's flickering those lights maybe even so fast you can't see it but what happens is the power surges up surges up and that will also knock them out real fast okay well and that's generally going to be like a ground type thing if it's affecting a number of different lights okay yeah it's the lights are taking turns it's not always the same yeah but see we got one ground circuit that controls 10 lights Right, got it. it could do that, and the reason I say that is because I've had cars come in with this problem. Check the alternator, it's fine. Check system voltage, is good, but it just keeps burning out bulbs. And you find a loose ground maybe at the light switch that controls a lot of lights. Got if you put a digital lab scope on slow it down, you'll see the fluctuations. It's just they're faster than your eye can see. Your, your, your eye can only see about 30 cycles a second, I think. If it's flashing around 60 to 80, you may not pick up on the flickering because when the power drops, it doesn't just go out. It starts dimming down, and then it picks it back up again before it goes out. So it's just pulsing that voltage, and that just burns them. It's like sitting there clicking the light switch on, off, on, off, on, off, which burns them out real fast. I got you. All right. Well, and I, I just I didn't know it. You know, if you have a bare wire, so if you have to start looking for a bare wire. No. See, a short. What would do is if it shorted the ground, it would blow the fuse protecting that circuit. If it opened, the light would just go out. But I don't think it would make it burn out in any kind of way. Now, one other possibility, Jim, and I know you you named off a bunch of different lights. If you've got moisture leaking into the area where the lights are at, like, for instance, on the headlight, if you had a little crack in the headlight housing and moisture's get, 
boy, that'll knock them out really fast. And I don't know if maybe the car has been wrecked or something where it's got some little cracks in those plastic parts. That's one other thing just to check for. Just look inside the housing and see if there's any moisture in it. Yeah, I, I have, and like I said, it's. I mean, the left light goes out, then the right, right. then the left, then the right, and I don't. I haven't noticed any yeah. moisture. But again, what you just mentioned, the fact that the rear brake light is mm-hmm. missing, that and I bought kinda, the car used. I'm a little concerned. Yes, right. I would probably first get it to somebody who's real qualified, who can do an electrical system profile for you. And they can tell exactly what the system voltage is doing. It could be something as simple as, as the alternator is just charging too much. Gotcha. Now the alternator could be spiking too. Yeah, it could be spiking. And sometimes there are even flash updates to the computer software for those kinds of problems. I know Chrysler had an issue with that, and they came out because the PCM controls the alternator, and it came out with a flash update that fixed the problem. So it well, could, I, could I, even I be something like that. Something else. I just recognized may be mm-hmm. related two or three days ago that the air conditioner had been working fine uh-huh. i had to switch it over to defrost yes, and when sir. i went back to ac the compressor would not come on for about 30 minutes and then turned the car off started it back up and the mm-hmm. compressor came on yeah it sounds like you got some electrical gremlins mm-hmm. there so jim if the car has possibly been wrecked and somebody got into those wires didn't hook something up right or did attach the ground back left the ground loose and right. it's just kind of touching sometimes and not all the times gotcha. those kinds of things can sure cause all those problems okay well now i've been listening for about 20 minutes and, mm-hmm. and i'm not sure where you shop <laughs> well just go to our website at www.agcoauto.com agcoauto.com and it'll give you a map there from anywhere in the world and give you a ton more information on our so- gotcha. shop Okay. All righty. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Jim. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. You want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd certainly love to have you. And like I was telling Jim, the way to find more information on AGCO, if you're interested in doing any business with us. Right. You can always visit the website. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's stands for Alta Sands Garage Company, there just you in go. case you was wondering <laughs> <laughs> or can't remember it. There you go. There's several databases you can search on the site. One of them is the vehicle questions, right. which is a kind of short to the point answer to a particular question. Correct. There's over 500 questions there. Yeah, well over 500 now, probably close to 600. And uh, that'll give you a direct answer to a direct question. Then there's also a detailed topic section, which gives you a much more detailed explanation on a particular problem. For instance, one in there on the GM four-wheel drive transfer cases, right? We where just... they develop a little pinhole in the case, and a lot of times folks don't realize what's happening, and all leaks out, and it burns the transfer case up. Right. And that's a pretty chronic problem on those, and there is a reason why that hole is getting in that case. It's not just uh, yeah, happenstance or nothing didn't get up there and hit it and knock a hole in it. Exactly. And there is a fix for that as well. So that goes into detail on that. One on stripped out oil pans and plugs and information, serpentine belts, all about ball joints, the Ford V8 engines that break the time and chain guides. And there's one coming online actually 12 o'clock tonight on the 1st, uh, mm-hmm. and it's on those spark plugs that break off in the Ford V8 engines. The 5.4 and the 4.6 three-valve. It's the 4.6, the 5.4, the and the 6.8. Okay. Valve. Any of the three-valve Triton engines has an absolutely horrible problem with the spark plugs breaking off in it when you go to 
take them out. Right. And that is a major, major, major issue. Oh, it's several days repair. It can easily be. And there's not only chart that tells you which vehicles are affected by that, because I think they finally fix that. Okay. But it gives you a list of what vehicles were affected. It also gives you some tips if you decide you want to try to change your plugs yourself on how you might avoid that problem. Well, I tell you what, that's a nightmare. It is. And Ford ought to be shot, in they my ought, opinion. Well, they ought to have to take care of it. They ought to have to recall that or, yeah. or give an extended warranty. But as of now, they have done absolutely nothing. And they more than they'll, likely they'll not sell, going They'll to. sell you a toolkit for about 400 bucks to yeah. <laughs> try yeah. to solve yeah. the problem. But other than that, it's like, hey, you bought the car. <laughs> it's you. Yeah. Hey, we got Jay online. Good morning, Jay. Yeah, I have a 2008 Mercury. Anyway, uh-huh. I've got some electrical issues. One that's just started. Okay. I get a light that says gas cap. Loose. Light. Mm-hmm. And I've checked that, and I can't find anything wrong with that. Yes, sir. Well, Jay, what that is, it's a little bit misleading, and the reason that Ford broke that out separately, that used to be part of the check engine light. But okay. they were having so much trouble with people leaving gas caps loose. The check engine light come on, they'd bring it back in. You check, yeah, you just tell yeah. the cap was loose, that they broke that out separately. Now, the only foible with that problem is what it's actually doing is trying to draw a vacuum on the fuel tank, and it can't do it. So then it's going to indicate the gas cap is loose. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily literally the gas cap is loose. It just means okay. that's the highest probability. It can't draw a vacuum because it's got a large vacuum leak. Right. And they're assuming that the gas cap be get put back right. on. Right. It could also be a vacuum line that's cracked. Right. It could be, if you had any work done on the car, it could be a wire loose somewhere mm-hmm. in the EVAP system. Seen in some cases, not so much on Fords, but like on a lot of Chevy Tahoes where the gas tank has a crack in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chevrolet had a real problem with that. The gas tanks would crack and then they couldn't pull a vacuum on the tank but what it's actually trying to say is that the, the evap system which sucks the fumes out of the gas tank cannot establish a hole of vacuum on the tank okay and so the first thing it's going to do is say gas cap how critical is that uh you won't be able to get an inspection done. sticker with it okay, the, okay. You'll, you'll fail state inspection and you also if let's say you got a crack in the gas tank you could have a bad fire hazard if you got a vacuum line off, you're sucking moisture and stuff into your fuel tank, which could end up okay. hurting your injectors okay. and all. So yeah. it really needs to be checked. Are you still uh, under warranty on it, Jay? No. You out, you out of warranty? Yeah. Hey, we're, we're, I'm out of warranty, yeah. Yeah, we could check that for you. Any competent shop that has a Ford okay. Scan tool can check that for you. What we uh, actually do to speed the process up considerably is we've got a machine called a smoke test machine. All and right. we can fill the entire system with smoke, and then you can see where the smoke comes out. That way you know where the leak is at instead of spending hours and hours looking for it. So it speeds the diagnosis up considerably. Okay. May I ask you uh, concerning another electrical issue? Um, in some weeks back, it's been longer than I'd hate to admit, mm-hmm. my dome light has gone out. Well, I checked the fuse. Yeah, oh, there's one that's out. So okay. I replaced that. Yes, sir. I quit after about the fifth fuse because there's yeah. evidently some... Yeah, some right. kind of little short, short circuit in it, blowing yeah. the fuses out. And, well, that's all my, you know, my inside line. And, anyway, I... I'm really concerned that that gets fixed. I just hadn't had time to get it around, but any recommendations? For yes, that? sir. We change a lot. This uh, Crown Vic. How's that? Uh, is a, is a Mercury or a Ford? You said. It, it is. It's a Mercury. Uh, Grand Marquis. Yeah, we've yeah. changed a lot of what they call the lighting control modules for that problem. It's a little computer module that actually controls all the lights in the car. They sometimes call it a general electronics module also. But we have changed a lot of those. They tend to short out internally. The little module itself does. Okay. And see, 
every bit of that stuff is digitally controlled now. It's not like the old days where you had a little plunger switch that would just make contact and send 12 volts to the light bulb. Rather, what it's got now is a sensor in the door that detects when the door is open. It sends a digital pulse uh, lighting module, which grounds a relay, which cuts lights on or cuts lights off. And uh-huh. that allows them to do all that cool stuff, like the way the lights just kind of fade out. They call it opera lights, and they can stay on when you turn the key off and all that stuff. It's because mm-hmm. it's being run by that little control module. But those modules go out a fair amount. We change those. It's probably the most common thing. Now, obviously, a wire that's rubbed to ground anywhere in the circuit can do the same thing. And even a bulb that's gone bad and shorted to ground can do the same thing. So it'd have to be checked. That is one common failure that we correct a lot. My knowledge there's not any bulbs that are burned because I'll put the thing, you know, when I was putting those in, it would stay about, sometimes it'd stay until I got home, and then mm-hmm. sometimes they'd go out immediately. Yeah, what it's doing is as soon as it goes in and actuates the circuit where the problem is, that's yeah. when it's going to kick the fuse. And see, on that module, it may even do a little self-test every, I don't know, 30 minutes or whatever. Mm. Or when you do a certain series of things, like, for instance, you may turn the air conditioner on off and it checks to see if the light's on. It's just got all kinds of little criteria when it decides to go in and ping that module. And when it does, then wang, that's when it's going to blow the fuse. So it may not make sense to you, but it's, it's got some kind of fuzzy logic that's programmed into it. Well, it, I'm not mechanical, so mm-hmm. it, I don't try to get all of that stuff. But right. I appreciate the information right, and uh, kind of gives me a guide as to what I need to do. All right, sir. We thank you for calling. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. I take one more quick little break and be right back with more. And that's why Justin Bieber should never, I repeat, never be cloned. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my six-year-old car needs about $2,500 worth of work, a new AC, and tires. You think I should do it or invest in a new car? So how much you paid for it six years ago? $40,000. Well, now it's valued at about $10,000, so it costs you $30,000 to drive it the last six years. That's $5,000 a year. Well, let's say you keep the car and spend about $2,500 on repairs every couple of years, which is about $1,200 a year. Way less than a new car, huh? Whoa, sounds like I need to keep my old car. Then bring it to Agco Automotive for regular maintenance, and it will last you even longer. Now that sounds like a good investment. Hey, Al, you got any stock market tips? Oh, for that, you got to tune to my other show, Al's Financial Hour. Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Let little Al Jordan play there for a while. <laughs> I was kind of joining the music. <laughs> hey, welcome back. If you just join us as the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Aldersam, Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you have. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call? We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. We've got all our lines wide open right now, so it's a good time to call in. We were talking just before the break about the Ford spark plugs and the Triton engines that break off. Right. And in my opinion, if I had one of those vehicles. I would not go more than about 50,000 miles before I changed those plugs, and really the sooner the better. Right. They had a big problem when those vehicles' engines came out. Mm-hmm. 
with the type of spark plug. It's actually a redesigned plug just for that engine. Mm-hmm. It's a two-piece plug. Is, yeah, is it's what made. The is. It's made completely different than the regular plug you've always seen. Well, that's what I say in the article. Is that when you go to parts store and you buy the replacement plug, you say, "Wow, man, look how innovative! This is something new and different." And when yeah. you take the first one out, I say, "Well, this one doesn't look exactly like the old one." <laughs> you know, that's because half the plug half still exactly. stuck down in the cylinder head. You know, exactly. And just for the folks who don't know, what we're talking about what you'll do is you put your socket on that spark plug start turning it you make about a quarter turn all of a sudden it just gets real easy mm-hmm. and that spark plug just broke off in down inside your engine well the thing about it is a regular spark plug socket's not going to take it out right you've got to have a special 9 spark right. plug socket just, just to take it out just to start with right and where, that's probably the best thing that'll happen to you <laughs> yeah where your old plugs were 5 eighths and your older ones were even 13 16 right 21 millimeters but they've actually when they redesigned the plug you got to buy a new socket for it mm-hmm. and it's a nightmare is what it is well it, what happens is that the upper half of the plug breaks off and comes out with the threads but it leaves the lower electrode and the porcelain down inside the motor and the sleeve and the little sleeve the electrode sleeve of course right. that porcelain is a whole lot harder than those cast iron cylinder walls so exactly. if you break a piece of porcelain it falls into the cylinder now the engine's got to come out of the truck and the cylinder head has to come off right and you cannot pull the cylinder heads off that engine in that truck no sir because of the timing change you have you- to pull the entire engine out of the truck to fix that so ford did come out with a little kit where you can take a pin of sorts and epoxy it down into that piece of porcelain and if it holds you can use a special puller to extract that out but you're going to use up probably a few hours per plug and i've seen i've seen all eight plugs breaking an engine right once you get the porcelain out you can tap the little retainer little metal part and then put another special puller and and pull that out. out But it eats up a tremendous amount of time, and the yeah. toolkit's about 400 bucks. That epoxy has to set, they say, an hour. Yeah. But we found it best that they sit overnight. Yeah, a long time. Let it get good right. and hard, because when you start pulling on that pin, it'll just pull right back out. Exactly. And then you have to start the process all over again. So it's a real, real nasty thing, and that applies to basically all the F-150s with a Triton engine from about 04 up. A lot of the expeditions, some of the excursions, some of the Mustangs, Mustangs. some of the motorhomes. Right. If it's got the the four six, the five four, the six eight, that ten cylinder, they give a designation for that motorhome chassis, but I forget what it is. F F H eight or something, something like that. Yeah, I yeah. don't recall exactly what it is, but if it says something <laughs> to the effect of Triton three valve, which means it has three valves right. in the engine, those are the ones that had this innovative plug in them <laughs> now they've they've actually redesigned that plug into a one-piece plug correct supposedly they the fixed the problem in 08 and the new plugs you get are an improved design that won't do this again right i know there are also some aftermarket companies that make a one-piece plug i know champion produces a one-piece plug for it and i think mm-hmm. autolite does as well I'm not sure exactly what ford did to remedy the situation but it is a new part number I think it probably is a one-piece plug now. Right. Uh, I can't imagine for the life of me what Bonehead actually sat in the engineering yeah. office and, and said, hey, thing, watch this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's just Hold put my this beer in, and watch this. Yeah, let me put this in millions and millions of vehicles out there and see what happens. Exactly. Yeah. I was just fixing to say, there's I mean, millions of those engines yeah, out there. didn't you test this at all? Yeah. And, of course, the longer it sits in the engine, the more carbon tends to build up on it. The more it heats and cools, the more likely it's going to seize up in that engine. Right. So I like to change those plugs out probably 50,000 or less miles. You have now, a better chance. If you look in your owner's manual, they're, they're recommending around 100,000. 100,000, that's correct. And I think, like you say, 100,000 is way too late. Well, it's sort of like most things on cars now. What they are designated is run to fail. Right. Run it until it fails. And... 
not only is the likelihood of them seizing up in the engine much higher, but and this is true of all cars, not just this particular engine, when you run your spark plugs to failure, what happens is not at all like the old cars where you're going to start to get a rough idle or it's because the gas mileage is going to fall off or it's going to start missing. You're generally not going to see any symptoms at all. Until None. failure. It's going to run perfectly until it fails. And so you say, well, if it runs perfectly, why change it? Well, what is happening is the computer is monitoring the situation. When it sees the plug secondary resistance getting too high, it just increases the burn time or gives it more fire. From the coil. From, it just fires it for longer to make it fire the worn-out plug. Now, it can do that to a point, but there is what they call a duty cycle on those call packs. Right. And when you start exceeding the duty cycle, you start burning up the call packs. Which... Which are expensive. Right. And we see a lot of those that the call packs are burnt up. and You make the calls fail by running the plugs too long. And what you've done is saved a few dollars on the spark plugs and spent between 90 and $200 a piece on calls. And there may be eight of them on there. Exactly. So do the math. You know, exactly. You're talking big, big, big bucks. Worst case scenario, the call can short out and knock out the PCM. Now you're into yeah. some really big bucks. Right. But the old way of doing things of running a vehicle until you have a symptom and then bringing it in just doesn't make any sense at all anymore and that's why they have scheduled maintenance and there's a this many miles do this this mm-hmm. many miles do that now the problem is the vehicle manufacturers like to make that look like it's not a whole lot so they really extend those intervals out when they say go 100,000 miles they do not mean 101 they mean at 100,000 miles it is 100% gone don't exactly. try to push it past that. And I do not recommend even pushing it that far. To lower your overall cost, change it way before that. It's sort of like changing the oil, and we get into this discussion all the time. Folks will say, well, I go 5,000, 6,000, 7,000 miles. Well, that's great. If your goal is to cha- save money on oil changes, then that's a real good strategy. Right. But the first time the rear main seal starts leaking and you come in and it's a thousand bucks to fix it, or the valve cover started leaking and it's a right. thousand bucks to fix it. Or you spin a rod bearing. Or you turn the rod bearing and it's six thousand dollars to fix it. Right. You will never, ever, ever save enough oil changes to pay for any one of those repairs. And your likelihood of repairs goes through the ceiling when you start pushing that oil out that long. Exactly. You're running it to failure, to total failure. You have no cushion left there whatsoever. So let's say you are the driver who doesn't make a lot of long trips. Your average trip is maybe 5 to 10 miles, like most people. Right. The engine starts up on a morning like this morning. It's probably 57, 58 degrees. It heats up to about 180, and you shut it off. Now, when it cools off, what happens to a piece of metal when it gets hot and cools off? Water condenses, moisture. So the oil comes in, it picks up this moisture because that's what it's supposed to do, and it holds it in suspension. Then you do it again, and it does it again. You do it again, it does it again. Each time, it's probably parts per million. Right. Small amount. But it adds up over a period of time. In three or four months, you've probably got 3 to 5% moisture content in that oil. That starts attacking all the metal parts. It starts forming sludge. And because it's liquid, it goes right through that oil filter. Exactly. Oil filter cannot cannot take a liquid out. It's going right through it. So... It breaks down all the additives in the oil. The seals start getting hard. They're not pliable anymore because all that's gone. Now, the oil itself hasn't oxidized yet, but the additives have been depleted. you got moisture content. you got sludge buildup. Right. So the overall cost is astronomical. And what are you saving? An oil change every once in a while. Yeah. So it's just not cost-effective. It doesn't make any sense at all, and it's just short-term thinking. 
more or less more trickery from the folks who specialize in trickery. Right. They try to make you think they're saving you money, whereas they're really costing you a whole lot more down the road. In the long run, yeah. It's kind of like my old man always told me, you know, nothing's ever free. That's it. And if a guy comes at you with something free, look out, because it's fixed to cost you a whole <laughs> lot of money. Now, you know, the cheapest way out is usually the more expensive way in. Yep. Just go ahead and do the right thing, and you're going to be cheaper off way down the road most every single time. And that's overall lowest cost. Just exactly. It makes a whole lot more sense than the options. Hey, we're going to take another quick little break. Wesley, hang on. You can be straight up after this break. And that's why you never put a dead or live octopus in the microwave. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my old truck needs some repairs. Or should I buy a new one to save money? Well, let me get out my calculator here. Let's say a new truck costs about $35,000 plus $3,500 or so in taxes, then higher insurance. And you know, in about three years, the value is going to drop to about $15,000. That's $8,000 a year just to drive it. Wow, I've never thought of it like that. I suggest taking it to Agco Automotive for a general inspection to see if your old truck is worth keeping, which I think it is. And if so, keep bringing it to Agco for regular maintenance, and you'll be able to drive it for a whole lot longer. And I can spend money on other things like my beautiful wife. I'm assuming she's right there in the room with you, huh? Alphonse, you do know it all, don't you? Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got lead tech Brian Terry here with me. Hey, between two of us, we'll answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call? And we're going to try to catch as many of these calls as we can before we run out of time. We've got Wesley online. Good morning, Wesley. Yeah, how you doing? Doing great, sir. Um, I got a Chrysler 06 PT Cruiser. I got it in park, but I, I put my shift and go back and forth, but I can't get it in reverse or drive or nothing, but it's just... At a stand park, I can't just like it loose, go back and forth. But Does the shifter uh, move real easy, uh, yeah. Wesley? Yeah, uh-huh. it's not like yeah. the cable broke. Probably the, either the shifter cable has broke or has come loose. You might just look under the car where that cable goes into the transmission and make sure it didn't just pop off right there. It's got like a little plastic clip on the end that sometimes pops off. If it didn't pop off, probably either the cable broke or the shifter itself broke. What you can almost have to do, unless you're pretty handy yourself, is just get towed into the shop and check it and see. I don't think that's a terribly expensive repair, but it is going to disable your car for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, sound, it don't sound too expensive, though, so it would sound cheap, huh? Well, uh, I'm not going to say cheap. cheap. There ain't nothing ever cheap, but it, it's not like thousands of dollars or anything. It's probably a few hundred dollars. Oh, okay, that sounds good, and that's yep. what I need to hear. All right, sir. Thank you. Thank All you, right. sir. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we've got Mike online. Good morning, Mike. Yes, I have a 07 Chevy truck with the uh, split air conditioning, you know, past yes, the driver. Yes, mm-hmm. right. Goes on. And my driver's side is erratic at uh, yes, a lot sir. of times. Yes, sir. I know exactly you know, what you're talking about. It's a very, very common issue on those vehicles. Mike, almost every time, and I, I want to preface almost because you know, anything else can happen, but almost every time, it's what they call the actuator. There's a little motor that's on that left side that opens and closes to change that temperature for you. Right. And what happens, it usually will occur when you put it all the way on cold or all the way on hot. Sometimes you'll get a popping noise, sometimes not. Sometimes it just starts getting erratic on temperature. But that little actuator is not opening and closing that blend door properly. Now, fortunately, the one on the left is the easiest one to change by a wide, wide measure. 
That one sure. probably takes about an hour if you know what you're doing and you got the special tools to do it. Okay. Some of the other ones can take, you may have to even pull the whole dash out to change. So if you got to have a problem, that's the one you want to have a problem with. But well, we, it allows, we, it, we change it them every day. Okay. It's very common. It, do? it just it allows fresh air in from outside? To, it to, blends the air. That's how it controls the temperature. What right. it does, it's got a big blend door down in the middle of the unit that's very difficult, and that one controls the right side. But okay. when you want to control your left side, basically it opens the big blend door and regulates the amount of hot coal going to that door with a separate little motor. That's how it can do right. the dual zone effect. Another question, you have an issue, problem, frequent problem with the, the driver's side door not locking on the automatic door locks? I've seen it quite a few times, yes, sir. Normally what I see is you hit your remote and it doesn't lock. You hit it again and it will lock, or maybe you hit it three times and it will lock. Is it that sort of thing? Right. Sometimes right. it doesn't it, unlock. Uh, it typically unlocks, but uh, locking it seems to be a problem. Yeah, problem. most of the time that's the door lock actuator. It's a little another little motor that they've got inside the door, and it pulls that latch down and pushes it back up and right. it just gets weak and it just can't pull it down all the way it'll pull it like half the way down and then you hit it again it'll go ahead and jerk it the rest of the way sometimes it doesn't unlock sometimes it doesn't unlock i had a lady that brought a car in last week she said man my remote control's not working because i hit the remote and i can't open the door but what it actually was was the door lock actuator wouldn't unlock and she okay. thought it was remote but it was actually that actuator yeah another fairly common problem and again not a huge deal about an hour and a half you got to pull the door panel off take the latch out parts probably hundred dollars or so all right i'll set up an appointment to bring it into you guys all right sir we appreciate it thank you thanks sir mm, all right. you want to be part of the automotive hour we would love to have you and we got greg online good morning greg hey how you doing doing great good sir good morning Look, I got my truck is scheduled to go to your shop at, uh, on Wednesday, but something else you might want to look at is see if you want to do this or not. My hot water heater doesn't work, but uh, it's running a little hot, it seems. I'm wondering, can you take, I believe you told me a couple years back that it's probably full of sediment in the hot water heater. Well, it's possible. it possible. Huh? That's possible. Is it possible, can y'all take it and bypass the heater, take two hoses and put them together? Yes, sir. Or would that be detrimental? Yes, no, it doesn't hurt a thing, Greg. You just okay. won't have heat. As long as you're a warm-blooded person and it doesn't get too cold. I mean, I love the cold. That yeah. doesn't bother me at all. Well, you know, Greg, an awful lot of people do do that because of the expense of pulling that dash out of the fix. The heater right. core. I tell you what we could try too. I don't normally recommend this, but I know you and I know you're really understanding kind of guy, but you can try to take some compressed air and blow it clean. The only downside is sometimes when you do that to blow the core up, which means you gotta bypass it because it'll leak. But as long yeah. as you understand, hey, this is a shot, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't, you're not any worse off because you don't have heat either way. Do you have my compressor right here? I'm at my shop. Yeah. You just got <laughs> to be kind of careful with it, and you don't want to put full air that, pressure to that it. That system but. only holds extra 15 or 20 PSI. Yeah. So anything over that, you're real, real likely to blow it out. Right. Blow okay, it up. So I got to dial my pressure down. Way dial down. it down and put like a shop towel or something around it where it can leak yeah. when you do it and just kind of give it a quick burst. Don't put it on and hold it. Just quick burst, quick burst, quick burst. Maybe yeah. go to the other hose, quick burst, quick burst, quick burst. And if it blows a bunch of crud out, in your hand then you know you, you're probably good the worst case it's going to blow the core out and it's going to start leaking inside your truck so you'll have to bypass it at that point yeah okay but i mean you're not All really right. too much worse off because the core wasn't any good anyway right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah but like you say i'm not going to take the dash bar that's just too much trouble oh yeah to do absolutely that. but what I'll, I'll probably do is just go ahead and get y'all to then bypass it and, okay. and and i'll work on 
work on the core and see yeah. if I can get the sure. core clean afterwards. Yeah, all right. And, Makes uh, sense. Okay, well, I'll just tell you, wife, Wednesday, I okay. mean, uh, Monday. All right, <laughs> said that to all right, Greg. All right, thank you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Hey, I'll tell everybody one more time about the website. Look for that article. It should come on there tonight sometime. About the Ford Spark uh, Plugs? The Ford Spark Plugs. Right, that's a real good article. Well, a lot of folks haven't experienced that yet. That's right. These vehicles came out in 04, so they mostly have 60, maybe 70,000 right. miles on them. Right, 12,000 miles a year. In five years, you only got 60,000 miles, yeah, so you, you know, hadn't noticed a problem. It's recommended at 100. To, right. to deal with the plugs, and so it was 04, 05, 06, 07, and into some of 08. So right. this is a ticking time bomb that is fixing to explode for an awful lot of folks. Exactly. So you might want to just read that. And the point is, if you come in now, we may be able to get those plugs out. If Maybe. you wait a hundred thousand plus miles, the odds right. of them coming out of there are pretty slim. And if they don't come out, the heads have got to come off the engine. Right. If you can't, that's, you that's can't the extract only to... them, and even if you can't extract them, it's still a whole bunch of money involved. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it takes so, time. It takes an awful lot of time, and I think it's probably out of the realm of most do-it-yourselfers. I did put the whole procedure in there, so if you I, want to look it over and see. If you're willing to spend a 400 bucks for the tool to do it one time. Right. Plus, you know, plus about two weekends. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're going to be without your vehicle for a while. Right, so www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Pop on there and see what you think. I think you'll really like it. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend and go Tigers!